0: How many of you have got in your mind that song from the 70s? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return. <laughs> yes, there's a few of you here. If you want to sing it, we'll do it at morning tea. Because <laughs> it shows your age, you know. <laughs> How many of you also, though, have got the Messiah ringing in your mind as well? Handle. Handel. Shall the eyes of the blind be opened? Well, friends, um, we're looking at chapters 34 and 35. You might want to rest in 35, but I'm going to take you back to 34. And it's tough going. So if you've got your Bibles with you, um, please have them open. Chapter 34 is quite hard to read, isn't it? Well done, Fiona. Fiona it makes me think of some devastating things that have happened uh, recently in the last couple of decades. The Indonesian tsunami of 2004. Got pictures in your mind? The Christchurch earthquake of 2011. The Nepal earthquake of 2015. Cyclone Debbie in 2017 and the Havoc that wreaked across northern Queensland. Californian mudslides of 2018. And, of course, the ravaging fires uh, in our own country just last summer. And that's to name just a few. Do you remember uh, last week I mentioned that the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are the chapters of Judgment And the comfort and hope comes through in chapters 40 to 66. The devastation that we read about in chapter 34 is really hard to fathom. Uh, It's full on. Please don't think that I'm suggesting in any way, by referring to those natural disasters a bit before, that uh, in any way I'm saying that that's the way God judges the world. Please don't hear me saying that because I'm not. And I don't believe that natural disasters are God's judgment on the world. They are part of a broken world, and that's what happens. God is the one that takes us through it. The reason I referred to those is because I think it's helpful for us to have those pictures of incredible devastation in our mind so that we can kind of understand what this judgment might look like for the nations around Today, we started at verse 8 in chapter 34, but if you've got your Bibles there, I want to take you back to verses 1 and 2. Please have a look at those. This is what it says Come near, you nations, and listen. Pay attention, you peoples. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all that comes out of it. The Lord is angry. With all nations, his wrath is on all their armies, it's saying. God is saying that he is thoroughly judging everything. Did you notice that? Everything that is in the earth, let the earth hear and all that is in it, and everything that comes out of it. So all that the world does, whatever comes out is deserving of the Lord's judgment. Everything that's in it, Everything that comes out of it kind of doesn't miss anything, does it? And it's not just about Israel and Judah. This is not just about the disobedience and sin of the covenant people. This is about all nations. God is not happy. God is not happy. And that's not a great rap for a world that was declared good at creation. This judgment, what we read in, Psalm, in, in chapter 34, is as if creation will be undone. All that was beautiful becomes ugly. Judgment, judgment never really uh, makes us feel good, does it? Do you feel good about judgment? Even as parents, you know, when our kids were so naughty that we applied significant discipline. It didn't feel good, did it? It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to apply judgment. It doesn't feel good to receive judgment. Why is that? Well, I think it might partly be because it hurts, but I actually don't think that's the big picture. I don't think that's the main thing about why we don't like it. I think judgment doesn't feel good because it's actually about truth when we are confronted with the truth about ourselves it's hard isn't it in these previous chapters isaiah the prophet has been doing some truth telling judgment is imminent and there's a pattern in these prophecies of these first 39 chapters the lord's it's as if the lord's judgment is rippling out from particular nations in widening circles to reach every place that opposes him. Did you notice that Edom is mentioned a number of times? Edom is a desert between the Gulf of Akabar and the Dead Sea, and it's where Esau's descendants refused Moses uh, to go into Canaan. And because of that, the name Edom is actually used to symbolise any nation that is in rebellion to the living God. So that just increases the fact that God is speaking to all nations here. There is utter desolation as he describes the catastrophe for Edom. Edom's capital, uh, Bosra, was once filled with prosperity, great herdsmen with thousands of of, uh, cattle. But then there's a change and dilemma comes. Edom lies wasted away and is now a desert. And it's not just the land that is devastated. Do you see in verse 12 it says, all her princes will vanish away. So it's not, not just the land, it's about the people, the leadership. Earthly nobility and power just have no chance when faced with the incredible power of God. Human constructs are nothing compared to to Yahweh. Barry Webb, who was one-time Old Testament lecturer at Moore College in Sydney, says in his commentary, God is unbelievably patient, but Isaiah is clear that his just anger is a reality to be reckoned with, and we delude ourselves if we think otherwise. Hence the urgent call is listen in verse 1. God has put the world on notice that he will not tolerate insurrection forever. Isn't that a good comment? God has put the world on notice. God has put the world on notice. Chapter 34 makes it clear that God's plans aren't abstract, it's real. And it also makes clear that it will, in fact, be quite bloody. Now, as we consider all that Isaiah is saying here, we could leave it where it is, couldn't we? 2,700 years ago. That'd be good to do that, wouldn't it? We don't like chapter 34, so let's just leave it there and say, well, that was then. But is that wise? (laughs) Is that wise? Is God's judgment just for then and today he would do things differently? Well, let's see what comes next in chapter 35. And what do we find in chapter 35? We find that God surprises us. He surprises us. And he, this surprising God, he does things which reverses what has just been declared. We see him acting in a way that brings Redemption. We find here in chapter 35, salvation and grace. In fact, we find salvation by grace. It's there. God may have made the fruitful land like desert, but what does desert hide? What is hidden underground in the desert? The desert always hides fruitfulness. Bring some rain on the desert and what happens? Shoots soon erupt, don't they? Animals that were lying dormant reappear. Even in judgment, there is room for salvation. And here we find gladness. There is joy, there is glory, there is splendor. Creation may have been undone, but now it's being redone. God is declaring here that judgment has a purpose and the purpose is redemption. The glory of the Lord comes and transforms the wilderness. Isaiah 35 is an oracle that is spoken in verse. We don't actually get to see it really well in English. When it gets translated out of the Hebrew, it loses a lot of its beauty But it's not just in uh, verse, it's in symmetrical verse. So it has an incredible beauty about it. And we see the grace so clearly. It's all of God. All of it. Who is being strengthened? The feeble. The feeble can't do it themselves. Grace. Which knees are being steadied? It's the knees that give way. Grace. Who is seeing? The blind. Who is hearing? The deaf. Who is leaping? The lame. Who is shouting? The mute. Do you see the grace? Those who are responding are the ones unable to do it themselves. Only by the grace of God will these things happen. Water will flow in the wilderness. Burning sand will become a pool. The dry ground gets a spring. The deserted wasteland becomes an oasis. And a new way is there. Did you see that? A new way, the way of holiness. And the way is for those who walk the way of holiness. Wicked fools, not there. Only the redeemed will walk there, the ones the Lord has rescued. So we find here in Isaiah that God's work and God's way are unique. His methods are like no other. His judgment isn't the end, you see. All the other gods around that people held high and paid homage to, pretty stupid, I think, because they're gods that they've made with their own hands and then elevate it to worship. doesn't make any sense. Those gods don't respond. We have our God, the one true God, who responds. God's methods are like no other. In fact, the truth is... Not only is his judgment not the end, it's actually the beginning because it paves the way for redemption. His judgment is the beginning. Undeserving Israel receives hope because God makes the gracious decision and choice to continue being their God, not to abandon them, but to continue being God. And he makes the promise to come and put right every wrong. God shows the incredible scope of his desire, which is to not only cast out fear on the inside, but to save his people physically, bodily, on the outside. And it's all wrapped up in this beautiful word, redeem. Redeem. The end of verse 9 and the beginning of verse 10 is our key. Have a look at it. Only the redeemed will walk there and those the Lord has rescued will return. The redeemed can only be redeemed by a redeemer. I'm going to say that again. It might sound a bit silly. But it's not. The redeemed can only be redeemed by a redeemer. What was the task of a redeemer? A redeemer claimed somebody as their own. A redeemer took the debt of another and made it their own. For so many, a guardian redeemer was the only way to be safe, a kinsman redeemer... That was the case for Ruth and Naomi. Do you remember? Obed claimed Ruth as his own and only then was she safe. Obed was their kinsman redeemer. Nobody else in the family could do it. Well, there was one in this case. Did you know? Do you remember that story? You see, a redeemer intervenes on behalf of someone else. In Hebrew, the word goel is the technical term for the next of kin who has the right to take the helpless relative's needs as his own. Classically, the work of a redeemer was a right which no other person could dare take up. And it was a right to be taken by choice. You didn't have to do it. It wasn't an inescapable duty. There was a choice And that's where the story of Ruth and Naomi is so powerful because Obed went to the other kinsman redeemer and said, do you want to do this? What was his choice? No. I'm not going to do it. But Obed chose to and received them in. For this covenant people, the Lord was the only one who could redeem. No one else could do it. And the Lord chooses to do it. He does that because God identifies as their kin. They are family. He takes their helplessness and all their needs and turns it around. He pays the price. Isaiah is declaring here that for the nation, God will be their redeemer. He has declared it to be so. Now, of course, Isaiah is looking forward here after the time of judgment when they will be taken away into exile, but there will come a time when they will return. Assyria will let them go. God will do it. God will be their redeemer. But what's this got to do with us? How do we understand this for ourselves? Well, Elma read the answer in the book of Matthew. It answers the question. It answers the dilemma. Have another listen to Matthew 15. Great crowds came to Jesus, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Remembering that Matthew is the gospel writer to the Jewish community, they would have known their prophets very well. Matthew is saying here, This man doing these things is fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. This Jesus is our ultimate guardian redeemer. Look what he's doing. Jesus is the only one who can do it and he chooses to do it willingly. He steps in and takes our problems as his own. He steps in and takes our sin as his own. We see that clearly. Where? We see the choice in the garden. We see the result on Calvary. He is our precious guardian redeemer. But Jesus also is the one who creates the way the way of holiness. Jesus even declares himself to be the way. He's the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Friends, we can't save ourselves, can we? We cannot save ourselves. But the way for salvation has been carved out by our Redeemer. The redeemed can only be redeemed by a Redeemer. And friends, it's you and I who are now able to enter the new Zion with singing, with everlasting joy crowning our heads because we know our Redeemer. Jesus is our kinsman Redeemer. Isaiah's vision is our vision because of Jesus. Amen.